Well, good morning, church. Uh, I'm Evan Checklin, I'm the discipleship pastor, and I'm excited to be uh, back uh, on stage continuing through our series, Are We There Yet? I grew up listening to a Christian comedian named Mark Lowry. Many of you probably have heard him. He's still performing today. And uh, when I was a kid, I remember him telling a story about him meeting his, his nephew for the first time. And he goes to the hospital, and he, he gets to hold his, his nephew, Christopher, and he just rocked him and, and, and talked with him and said, Christopher, did you know that you're a very fortunate child? You have a mom and dad that love you very much. And Christopher, you're, you're even more fortunate because not only do they love you, they love each other. Did you know that? Did you know that you're very fortunate because they, they love you and they love Jesus too? Very fortunate. You don't seem to appreciate it. Well, Christopher, did you know that you were born in America? You're a very fortunate child. Did you know that? Well, you don't seem to appreciate it. And he started getting a little frustrated with this little baby because this baby wasn't, didn't seem to appreciate the blessings that had been dropped into his lap. And it was then that Mark Lowry determined that the life cycle is backwards. And so here's what Mark thinks the life cycle should be. We should die and get that out of the way first. And then we live in the nursing home until they kick us out because we're too young. And then we get a gold watch and we go to work for 40 years. And we retire when we're still young enough to enjoy it. And then we graduate and we go to college. And we graduate and then we go to high school. And we don't worry about college or high school because we've already graduated. And then we become a little kid, and we play, and we have no responsibilities, and we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be great? So being a child, it's a pretty fun time. My son just turned five, and he's already counting the days down to when he turns six. I'm like, dude, appreciate this, okay? You need to know that you, just, you have no responsibilities right now. But when childhood is over, we're faced with responsibilities that make life a little harder. And spiritual childhood is similar. And today we're going to define spiritual childhood and that stage on our journey. Remember, we're talking uh, about the spiritual journey that we are all on. And the destination, if you recall, is Christ-likeness. It's righteousness. Spiritual, uh, the, the, the destination isn't parenthood, even though we're using these four quadrants. Remember, righteousness, Christ-likeness is out here. And we're trying to go around and almost spiral and funnel to being like Christ. And again, that can be a little daunting. So our smaller goal to keep us motivated in, in moving forward is we need to seek after continuous transformation. And Barry started us off uh, by talking about the spiritual dead and how to make that tr transition from death to life, being born again. In the last two weeks, he talked about spiritual infancy and uh, defining the characteristics of a spiritual infant and then what a spiritual infant needs to grow. Those more mature in their faith need to share biblical new truths with an infant, and they need to share new habits with a spiritual infant, and they need to share their lives with a spiritual infant to help them grow. And so here we are uh, in the childhood stage, and so we're going to define what it means to be a spiritual child. Now, like being a physical child, it can be a wonderful time in life, but there comes 
with this wonderful time comes from frustrations. And the frustrations come from just the natural characteristics of, of childhood. And this is true both in the physical and spiritual childhood stage. And so uh, we're going to define the characteristics. And as Mark Lowry suggested, it is fun to be a kid and, and without responsibilities. I mean, who would want to leave this stage? Not very many of us, apparently, because I truly believe that this is really where we find many American Christians. And I read an article this week that covered extended adolescence, and uh, it claimed that 25 is the new 18. The extended uh, adolescence is no longer a theory but reality. You know, parents of college students are saying, yes, yes it is. And I'm not going to get into the details of that trend, but we can't deny the fact that, that within the church there seems to be similar findings of spiritual extended adolescence. You know, we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and we learn just enough about church life to do church. And then it seems that we settle in and, and seemingly stay put in that child stage. And spiritual children don't seem to either want to or maybe they just don't know how to grow. They lack motivation, maybe. So we'll get to the growth needs next week, but let's jump into the definition. Um, we can identify a spiritual child by three characteristics. Makes me feel like a powerful teacher when I flip that. It's just fun. God, we got that, that version. Um, now, remember, we're using Jim Putnam's book, uh, Real Life Discipleship, to help us with these characteristics. Uh, but we're going to dig into Scripture to understand the biblical evidence of the childhood stage and these characteristics. So if you've got your Bibles, have them ready. We're going to uh, start in uh, the Gospels in Mark 9. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. We will have the, the Scriptures on screen but if you can flip around with us and use your own uh, Bible, that would be wonderful. Now, the first characteristic of a spiritual child, spiritual children are self-centered. Spiritual children are self-centered. And let's look at Mark 9 starting in verse 33, to see uh, an example of this. So Jesus and the twelve had been traveling through Galilee, and uh, Mark 9, 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what, are you, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, like any parent, Jesus knew what his kids were talking about and arguing about, but he asked the question not for his benefit, but for their benefit, to give them an opportunity to fess up. And when they didn't fess up, he took the opportunity as a teaching moment. Now, he was talking about himself as the servant of all, but his disciples, his children, needed to learn a lesson of selflessness. Another example in Luke 22, Jesus and the twelve were together at the Last Supper, and Jesus says, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to each ask each other uh, which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people, but among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest and the leader should be like a servant. 
Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. Now, here we go again. The disciples have been learning and studying and, and just being with Jesus for three years now, and they are still arguing over who is the greatest among them. They're still acting like self-centered children. And did you notice that they completely ignored the fact that their leader, Jesus, said that he was going to die? They just left that little tidbit of information on the table and immediately jumped in to arguing about themselves. Self-centeredness um, is just something that we all struggle with from time to time. Now, it's going to sound like I'm picking on the spiritual child, and, and I'm not, because I don't look at a three-year-old and say, you're self-centered, knock it off. You know, we don't do that. It, it, this is a natural characteristic of the, the child stage. So, but if you, if you find yourself in this stage, keep, stick with us, because next week we're going to talk about how to grow out of that stage. But a spiritual child, they're, 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 center of, they're the center of their own little world. And spiritual children interpret everything from the perspective of me. And a spiritual child, they're, they're more concerned about their needs, their needs rather than the needs of others. And so some phrases that we might hear a spiritual child say that kind of clues us into that self-centeredness. A child might say something like, I don't like the music today. I wish they would do it, do it the way I like it. The pastor looked right at me and didn't say hello. I'm not being fed at my church, so I'm going to go to a church that meets my needs better. A spiritual child might say, I never want my small group to change because new people make me nervous. Spiritual children can, can be a little self-centered at times. The second characteristic, spiritual children can be a little idealistic. Spiritual children can be a little idealistic at times. Their lack of experience leads children to be black and white in their thinking and the processing and maybe a bit naive at times. So we're going to look uh, at an example of idealistic uh, behavior in Acts 15 in the early church. We're going to see black and white mindset in the early church where Paul and Barnabas and Peter and among others, they're all at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, um, starting in verse 5. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees stood up and, and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed uh, them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that, that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus." So the early Jewish Christians thought everyone had to hold to Jewish rules and were being very black, black and white uh, on that matter. You know, we can be black and white in our thought process as well. And maybe uh, a spiritual child might think that we, can, we should only watch Christian movies 
or listen to Christian music or only read the Bible in Christian books. But we know we have certain Christian freedoms that we can exercise if we choose to do so. And 1 Corinthians 10, Paul had to teach the disciples in Corinth a lesson in Christian freedoms. Not only were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians intermixing, but they had some non-believers interacting with them as well. So food became kind of a hot topic among them because their conflicting rules about food created some issues. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 33, Paul says, You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone, is, uh, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of, concern, of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me, I do what is best for others so that many may may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, disciples have certain Christian freedoms and it's okay for us to eat what we want. It's okay to watch uh, TV, movies, listen to music that, that aren't labeled Christian. But it does take some amount of maturity to understand when enough is enough, when the line Uh, is drawn or when it becomes a negative influence. And spiritual children don't always have the experience to to be able to discern uh, where that line should be drawn. And did you catch Paul's words in verse 33? He says, I don't do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Sometimes it is appropriate and needed to give up some of our freedoms in order to help someone else along the journey. But that doesn't mean that we have to be so black and white that we don't enjoy the freedoms in life that God created for us. Some phrases that an idealistic spiritual child might say, no one in the church should ever disagree because that's unity. Well, people in the church do disagree. And sometimes it's okay because that actually is a growth area and where we can come to agreement. We can come to unity. And you know, we can disagree and be unified at the same time. It is possible. A spiritual child may say, I read my Bible and the book that I got from the church library, and that's it. That's okay, but it's also okay to to read something else. My pastor said it, it must be true. I like that one. Um, (laughs) I, I know it might be a shock to you, but I, a pastor, don't know everything. I know, I was more shocked than you when I found this out. But last week, our, our, my life group was studying through the book of Acts, and we got, came to verse, uh, or chapter 17 in Acts, and it says, the Berean Jews examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. You have that responsibility too. Just because it comes out of the mouth of someone with a microphone 
you got to check it. We need to, we not, we need to not take uh, for granted uh, what the Word says, and we shouldn't be so idealistic to think that someone has it all down. Because children can be black and white uh, in their thinking, but they, when they learn that no one is perfect, then they can be very disappointed, even confused, and maybe sometimes they become a little judgmental because of their idealistic thought process. So the third characteristic, spiritual children can be both overconfident and underconfident, and they can sway back and forth. So overconfident and underconfident. Let me give you some examples. So Peter himself, he's a perfect example of this. Peter went from having the faith to step out of the boat and walk on water, and in the same passage, he's a man of little faith. And then he says, Lord, I would die for you, and then he denies him three times. Or let's look at the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And in Exodus 3, 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? God told Moses to assemble the Israelite elders and tell them of the rescue plan. In Exodus 4, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? So God tells Moses that he'll offer miraculous signs to convince the people. And then later on in Exodus 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And God says, fine, I'll send your brother Aaron. Would you just go? Moses was a little underconfident, and he didn't understand how God could use someone like him. But then Moses shows us how we can shift to overconfidence. In Numbers 20, the Israelites are now in, uh, out of Egypt and in the wilderness, and they need water, and God had a plan to provide it for them. So in Numbers 20... Verse 7 through 12, the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the, take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water for the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with a staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. God was a little upset with Moses and Aaron here. First of all, Moses was told to speak to the rock, not hit it. And it seems as though Moses hit the rock out of frustration because in verse 10 he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring water to you from this rock? Who is we? Moses is either talking about Aaron and Moses or God and Moses. Either way, he thinks he has something to do with this miracle. And he didn't present God as the one who deserves all the credit. He got a little overconfident in his role uh, as God was providing for his people. Overconfidence manifests itself as pride, and underconfidence can become self-loathing or defeat. 
And spiritual children uh, who are overconfident may say things like, uh, they'll memorize a, a passage and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wonderful passage. But we take it out of context and we think we can, that means that we can be a professional athlete if we just pray enough or the best performer, or I will never doubt in my faith again because God strengthens me. Well, life experience shows otherwise. We have some ups and downs and, and uh, times where, where that's not exactly true. A spiritual child might say, I believe in Jesus and my church is in the woods, just him and me. And children can be a little overconfident and may not see the need for community. Or let's rephrase that uh, into our current circumstance or really uh, ever since the internet came and church went online. I can go to church online from my living room. I don't need to be present with the church body. That's a dangerous statement. And as we continue to come out of COVID, it's going to feel natural for you to stay home and, and, and kind of do church alone. And I urge you to be prayerfully considering that you return when it is safe for you to do so. We need each other. Church is not something that we watch. We are the church. It's a physical, living, breathing organism that we gather for community. We gather to, for collective praise and worship to raise up one voice, for face-to-face -face encouragement, to share one another's burdens. Don't be overconfident in your ability to do church by yourself. We need each other. Underconfident phrase, I'll never be as knowledgeable or as spiritual as that person. Many of us have probably said that or heard someone else say it. I want to remind you that these stages don't define levels of, of worth or greatness. They simply define levels of growth. And we all go through the same stages and the same levels of growth, and we all have aspects of our character that we need to work on and grow. But if you, if you heard yourself in this definition, if you heard yourself in this message and you're thinking that you might be a spiritual child, most likely you have someone in your life that you look up to and consider them to be at least a step ahead of you on this spiritual journey. And I want you to prayerfully consider a way or an opportunity to seek out and meet with this person this week. If you can't think of anyone in your life, then you need to prayerfully consider ways to create opportunities for you to find that person in your life. Join a life group, take a class, volunteer with a ministry team, do whatever it takes to find someone that can pour into your childlike needs because we all are called to grow. If a child gets lost in a grocery store, what do they do? They cry out for mom or dad and they don't stop searching and they don't stop crying out for mom and dad until they find mom or dad. If you're a spiritual child, then go and find someone to speak into your life. We'll talk more about that next week. Some of you might be a little further down this spiritual journey. You might be a spiritual child, but you might be an older child. Let's take a 10-year-old, for example. You're, uh, you're a 10-year-old, and your parents have uh, a new baby. Well, your parents are going to expect a little help. Uh, out of that 10-year-old. You can, you can be a very helpful 10-year-old uh, with, with a baby brother or sister and, and add to the, the growth and development of that child. Just because you're not a spiritual parent doesn't mean that you don't have something to offer. 
So wherever you fall on this path, there's probably somebody that's a step or two behind you. So if you haven't already, please be praying for God to reveal to you someone in your life where you can take an opportunity for you to help someone along this spiritual journey where we all seek after righteousness through continuous transformation. Again, we are in this together and we need each other. Next week, we're going to lay out specific growth needs of a spiritual child, but for now, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the wisdom and the love that you offer. I thank you that we are able to grow and learn and be more like you. It's through your love being poured into us that we, we, we are overflowing with, with joy and love where we can pour into someone else, where we can grow ourselves. Father, keep us motivated. Keep us focused on the goal of becoming more and more like you. We thank you, God, for the opportunity. It's, it's only because of your son that we even have a chance to grow. But Father, help us to to evaluate ourselves this week, right now. Show us where we are on this journey. Father, I just ask that you would make it clear to each and every one of us where we are and how we can grow as we go through this week and we prepare for next week to really determine how, how each step will get, uh, help us get closer and closer to you. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can see.